Hey there, Omaha. Welcome into another episode of Restaurant Hoppin'. I've got a fantastic guest for you today, but real quick before we get to them, I have to tell you about Certified Piedmontese because this is a brand I am so excited about. In fact, I will never forget the first time I had Certified Piedmontese. The crown jewel of my initial visit to Casa Bovina was a beautiful rib cap that was so lean and tender, it was almost silky in texture. The moment that beef hit my taste buds, I was hooked. These animals are raised all natural on a network of family ranches across the Midwest, so Certified Piedmontese is able to cut out the middleman and buy directly from the source. And while I highly encourage you to check out Casa Bovina, you can savor this beef at home, too. Whether you order off Piedmontese.com or by calling one 800 414-3487, your purchase will be shipped directly to your front door. Plus, when you use my discount code HOPPEN, H-O-P-P-E-N, you get 25% off your order. How can you beat that? So what are you waiting for? Get some steaks, burgers, bacon, or other meats and experience the certified Piedmontese difference for yourself today. And now, to my guest. Hey there, Omaha. Welcome into another episode of Restaurant Hoppin'. I'm your host, Dan Hoppin', and people are always asking me where they can get an authentic slice of New York pizza in Omaha. And I definitely have some of my favorites, but I've never actually been to New York, so I can't totally speak on the authenticity. But when there was a New York pizza joint that already has five successful locations in New York that decided they were going to open location number six in Omaha... Felt pretty confident saying this might be an authentic slice of New York style pizza. It caught my attention from the moment I heard about it, and it has kept my attention ever since the first bite I had of this pizza. And I am so excited to have the creators of it here today, owners Aaron McCann and Nino Coniglio. Guys, thank you so much coming from New York to join the podcast. I'm honored. Thank you for joining the show. Absolutely. Glad to be here. Thanks for having us. The, the honor is all mine. So first, just got to get it out of the way. If people are listening to this, they're like, where can I get my hands on Williamsburg Pizza? The Omaha location is going to be at 168th and Harrison. You guys mostly do takeout and delivery, but there are also a couple tables inside if somebody wants to dine in. And as we get started, I feel like I need to establish some credentials because I have some very esteemed gentlemen sitting at the table here. And, and these are not all the credentials they have. These are, these are just a few things, but Nino has been named the International Pizza Maker of the Year at the International Pizza Expo in Vegas. He's won Chopped on the Food Network and competed on the U.S. Pizza uh, Acrobatic Team and probably made more pizzas in his life than he would even dare to count. And Aaron has headed up a pizza joint that has been named in the top 10 by the New York Times food critic Pete Wells, which is nothing to sneeze at. That is a very tough list to make, so... You guys come into this podcast with some very serious credentials, but I want to kind of take you back to the base of why you love pizza. Now, I know both of your first jobs were in pizzerias, so maybe that influenced you, but obviously you've gone on and your careers and massive parts of your life are completely centered around pizza. What is it about pizza that inspires you so much? Uh, I don't know. It's like, I mean, it's a food that, you know everybody loves in america i mean obviously it started in italy but like took america by storm in like the 1950s and it's like a communal food that like brings people together and you know i mean what's better than pizza you know what i'm saying you walk down the street with a slice of brooklyn (laughs) you know you get pizza with a bunch of friends it's what you're you know if you go to college it's what your life 
generally revolves around during that period. So, yeah, I mean, it's a great, great communal uh, food. Yeah, I mean, my first job was in a pizzeria, but my first job was in a pizzeria because I loved going to this pizzeria, and they saw me so regularly for the years leading up to me becoming 15 years old and able to get a job there that uh, I was already a familiar face. This little place called Home Team Pizza. It's it's now evolved into Night Flight and then uh, Brick Oven Pizza, but it's the same people that own it, and I feel like it's seems like the same pizza it's always been when I go back there. Um why I'm attracted to it? I don't know. It's just been my favorite food as long as I can remember. Right. But, uh, yeah, it's definitely good vibes. I enjoy working in an industry that's bringing smiles into the universe and watching people walk out of our places with giant smiles on their face in one of our pizza boxes is always feels good. Williamsburg has definitely brought a lot of smiles to the Omaha scene. I mean, the reviews, the early v- reviews coming out of this place have been fantastic. And I think it's really given a lot of Omahaans their first kind of first bite of authentic New York style pizza. How would you guys define that to somebody who hasn't had your pizza yet? Like what defines the New York slice? Uh, So it's, you know, obviously not like an ultra thin, but like a pretty thin pizza. And then, you know, it's the chew. It's the way the crust is underneath. Um, The undercarriage, you know, has to be like crispy, but... You know, now it's really evolved into like this, um, you know, lighter, very much lighter like pie. So, and then it's the way that you put the sauce on the cheese and it all goes back to also like just great ingredients. Just, you know, I mean, one of the reasons why Italian food is so, you know, renowned around the world, like you could go to Paris, France, you could go to, you know, anywhere in the world, you go to a country and like, whether it's Africa or Russia and there's Italian food everywhere and there's tons of Italian food in America but really at the base of it it's all about simplicity and good ingredients so um I see a lot of people mess it up because they think like you know oh let me throw uh, all these spices all these different things in there and it's like no it's just salt pepper basil and you know whatever it is and just trying to source the best quality of those things that you can so like we use uh, sea salt imported from Trapani, from Italy. Um, we use Italian tomatoes, you know what I mean? Um, but, like, not just any Italian tomato. Like, we use tomatoes that are from, sourced from the Campania region, um, and fresh basil and, you know what I'm saying, great cheeses, and that's what it comes down to. Now, going off that point, I have a, a guy who's come on this podcast. He's a pizza owner here in Omaha who... Mm-hmm told me something that has stuck with me ever since, and I want to run it by you guys to see if it sticks true with you. He said that you judge any pizzeria by its cheese slice of pizza precisely because of what you just said, because you can't hide it under a bunch of toppings. It's the dough, the cheese, and the sauce have to be of high quality. If the cheese pizza stands out, then you know that once they start putting toppings on, it's going to be good too. Do you guys agree I, with that statement? I completely personally yeah. subscribe to that. The first slice I get anytime I go to a new pizzeria is just the regular cheese slice. And if they nail it, then I'll get more adventurous. If they don't, I feel like I don't know if the rest is going to work out that well either. Or But I short answer completely. Yeah, no, 100%. Anytime you walk into a new place, like people, they ask me all the time, like, what to get. And it's like, yeah, you get the Brooklyn round. You know what I mean? Gotcha. And for you guys, I know that that quality starts with the dough. 
and you take very grand care of it. You use double zero high gluten Americano blend Caputo flour. You make your own yeast. But the thing that I'm really interested in is this long fermentation process that I've read about in multiple interviews that you guys have done. It involves both hot and cold fermenting. Can you kind of take me through the fermentation process and and what that the science behind what that does to the dough? Yeah. So um, you know, pizza, bread, any type of like leaven product was um and for you know the past five six thousand years of human history like you had to make like you could have go to a store and like buy like some commercial yeast that only started in america about a hundred years ago and in europe about probably about 60 years ago so like when when it took off at the mass so um a lot of places have switched into this thing where like you could just throw a ton of commercial yeast in and you can raise your product up really quick. The downfalls of that is one, you're getting, uh, you're not breaking down the gluten and two, it leads to like a very high glycemic index. So meaning like, um, glycemic index is like the measure of how fast, like carbohydrates turn into like usable fructose or sutrose in your body. So think about it like a lower glycemic index is like kind of like a time release almost for like carbs. So like broccoli, for instance, ton of carbs in it, right? But because of the fiber wall around the cells, that creates a starch resistance, which, um, you know, lowers it to like 43, like on the glycemic index scale. So that's basically like what these, kind of what these processes do. So we use a pre-ferment, which is where you take, um, uh, you know, we start with like a little bit of our, kind of think of it like our old dough and then we make our kind of like our yeast from that and then we pour that into the um into the mix like we do our whole mixing process so that pre-ferment is creating starch resistance and then from there we do you know between like a six to an eight hour warm fermentation and then a 48 hour cold fermentation after that and the cold fermentation is um acetic acid so like you're developing like a lot of unami flavor in this and that and the warm fermentation is like a lactic acid fermentation so think like milky sweetness like almost like a a lot of yogurts most yogurts are lacto fermented um so yeah it's a much more like wholesome product that like you know i mean i've had pizzas you know wasted that like taste amazing but i feel like trash afterwards so it's not only a pizza that like tastes really good, but you know, you can eat a couple slices and go on a run or work out or like not feel like you're like bogged down afterwards. And the reasons behind that is, you know, the pre-ferments of the long fermentation and very few people do it. Fortunately, like more and more guys are coming out to the scene every day, like all around America. Cause like for the first time in pizza history, you can like, you can buy books and go on the web and like research stuff. And this is only in the past five to seven years where before that you literally like just had to go to like Brooklyn and like find a job and like figure it out. And hopefully you're figuring out the right thing. You know, that might've been the smartest three minutes this podcast (laughs) has ever heard. There was so much science going on. I feel like I'm smarter. I don't know if I could like, regurgitate any of that right now and like actually process it but that was that was genius like (laughs) what an awesome answer 
So, you know, you just talked about like the only way that you can, not the only way, but the way to really learn that is just by getting in a pizzeria and just seeing someone else doing it and digesting it. Well, now there's like, so we've kind of like taken it back. Um, so growing up, like in, in Brooklyn, like, you know, the, the pizza recipes were kind of like, um, all right, you take this bucket with this line on it and you, you dump that in. And then you put, you know, this much yeast, this much salt. Like a lot of them would like just take the Coca-Cola like to go cup. And like, it's like, yeah, just fill it up to here and like dump it in. And before we opened Williamsburg Pizza, I was, you know, I was always very passionate about like trying to make the best thing. And like how originally how I went to accomplish that was like, I would never stay anywhere for more than a few months. And eventually I learned how to make my own cheese. I learned how to source like amazing tomatoes. I learned the growing process behind all that stuff. And I learned enough about dough, um, to get it to a certain point. But I, I always felt like I was like missing that thing. And then I came across this book, um, like probably six months before we opened up Williamsburg pizza called, uh, Tartine bread by Chad Robertson. Um, he owns a, very very successful artisanal bakery and is like the leader of the artisanal bread movement in america um so i found this book and like all of a sudden this light bulb goes off in my head i'm like yo i'm chasing down all these pizza guys and trying to figure out this secret sauce and something to bridge the thing but i think i've been going at this all wrong because pizza guys are worried about these 10 different things like justly or unjustly but uh, bread bakers, they're just salt, water, flour, yeast, like that's it. So like these guys are really diving in. So we, uh, I started reading this book. Like I would read it like literally once a week, like just trying to like memorize everything in there and learn for the first time about like baker's percentages and hydration, fermentation, how to make starter cultures, all this stuff. And then I kind of just used at first I tried to like, all right, what if I just like do this and put it on a pizza? And that worked out terribly. Um, so then I just took what I knew how to already make like a, like a great New York style pie and then added, you know, started paying attention to hydration and fermentation and pre-ferments. And I just kind of added that into like the old school Brooklyn recipes that I grew up with. And from there, like, like I went back on the competition circuit that I'd been on a hiatus for, for like years and just cleaned up everybody. Like nobody can, and nobody had ever heard of hydration. Nobody. Now you go to like the Vegas pizza expo. Everybody knows what a Biga and a Polish and a, you know, a starter culture and this and that it's like come into the thing. But yeah, the idea has always been in my head. Like, all right. Like I've always been like a big history buff. Now I can't talk to Gennaro Lombardi, who opened up Lombardi's in, you know, 1915, right? I can't get at a time machine and talk to him. And people like to talk and say this and that, and this is how it was, and this is what we use. But you can go down a rabbit hole, and you might not be able to figure out what their dough recipe was, but you can figure out what they had access to ingredients-wise. Because there is, like, a paper trail of, like, okay, where were the tomatoes from? Who was packing them? Like, where were they grown in the U.S. in whether it's 1920 or 30 or 40 or 50? And 
kind of like taking a real hard look at that and then using that knowledge to be like, okay, well, let's use this and not this because this wouldn't have even been around if that's what we're trying to go back to. And like, just really, really keep it old school in a way that, you know, I mean, isn't being done even at, you know, these places that have been there for a hundred years or 50 years or 60 years, because if you take a hard look, like, it's like, all right, you've been around 70 years, right? Like, or this pizzeria is obviously, you know, it's probably on its third or fourth generation of owner at that point. But they changed a lot during uh, uh, along the way, and the the way you could tell is like, okay, you're using this, this, and this, and your dough takes a day to ferment, and like, it would be impossible to do that in you know whether it's 1930 or 1940 or whatever it is. So that's always been like a passion that we've had is like taking looks at that and trying to bring it back to that because, I mean, it was just it's it's just more wholesome food and it, it's gonna come out like a lot better you know what i mean like as long as you're not looking for like if you're looking to like recreate like the pizza hut pizza from your childhood you're probably gonna have to use like some like instant yeast and some other <laughs> stuff to but other than that you know if you're trying to make old school new york pizza there's a way to do it and you know now we have a lot more technology too than we've had back in the day whether it's information technology oven technology refrigeration technology so like there's a lot of people like not only me but like you know i have a lot of friends in italy who are like top of the game who are just taking this stuff to new levels like every month every year every decade like it's it's incredible and we're all connected now now what you're talking about to make this dough recipe this is like tons of research and experimentation and just pulling in stuff from your past and researching what other people have done and are doing and reading books yeah. and then you, you're able to create this dough recipe and like you said you you started competing and you were just cleaning up and people are just like what is this yeah do you remember like maybe not the first time you nailed it but like a as you're bringing all these outside sources and trying to you know create this new style of dough do you remember kind of like that light bulb moment where it's like oh shit i might have something here i mean yeah i mean it happens a lot yeah so like even when before i learned like the tartine thing like i i had this place del corso in marine park brooklyn and like i like changed up the dough recipe for something i thought and i was like you know what this is it this is the one right like this is gonna be here forever and then you know, a few years later, I do something different. And I'm like, no, now this is, <laughs> and a couple of years after that, I do something else. And it's like, it's this ever evolving thing for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you just get these, you get these light bulb moments all the time. And then a lot of, I've had a lot of times where like stuff happens by mistake, like where you'll like, you know, you'll forget about a dough that was in the fridge or you'll let the pre-ferment go too long and or, or it's too short and you know you have to make the dough anyway like for that one time and then you end up coming out with like amazing results and be like wait 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 let me take that back uh -huh. but that's where like the science and everything comes into it because if you know all your parameters if you know your hydration if you know your salt percentage your yeast percentage like all these different things you could kind of like reverse engineer something that like might have happened but you know when it comes to um figuring that stuff out like you could do it in real time 
like at your pizzeria. So like you, you because like let's say your dough is sixty two percent hydration, right? Just like a pretty standard hydration for like new style doughs. Like if you go to like you know Caputo Flowers website or this company or this company that's kind of like sending out to consultants, like that's like a standard hydration. If you pump that up to sixty three nobody's going to really notice or 64 and like you could kind of find like this ceiling you know what I mean and you can figure out if you're going the right direction or the wrong direction without like completely destroying your business you know what I mean as long as you're keeping like the rest of the stuff like you know in order Mm -hmm. you know so it's not just like you know you're weighing everything out it's not just throwing like the bucket up to here and the 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 cup and this and that you know exactly what you what you're doing so it's easy to play around mm-hmm. there's a local pizza maker here in Omaha. i gotta give a shout out to izzy's pizza bus the owner brett so i wish my wife was still here so yeah we uh we're friends with them actually really? so yeah we're we're uh um uh did you meet him in vegas yeah so okay. we well Shaylin knew him. My wife knew him. Uh, my sh- my wife's like completely obsessed with pizza, so we actually met at the Pizza Expo, um, and she's been, you know, obsessed with pizza since she's fourteen years old. Everything she owns is pizza related. So her shoes, our blankets, every article of clothing. She marries the right person. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, we went and visited them when they were in Vegas, and we were talking about that on the elevator up. Uh, that he's here, I, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to going and see them again. They're great. They, they do such a great job with the Detroit's. Oh my god, the setup's amazing. She's actually, uh, my, my daughter was wearing the Pizza Planet, uh, yeah, thing from the. I think they gave it to her. Oh, that's yeah. amazing. But yeah, I mean, I, I absolutely love Izzy's Pizza. But yeah, Brett does exactly what you were just talking about. He's got a notebook. And every time, you know, he'll change up his dough a little bit, you know, every couple of weeks or so. But he's writing down in his notebook, okay, I'm I'm gonna try, you know, sixty-one percent hydration. I'm gonna, you know, adjust the salt level this much. I'm gonna use a little bit more of this flour. And he is writing all the I mean, this notebook yeah. is just like a science lover's dream. And it's so cool to see what I'm curious about, because this is something that I talked about with him. He had to adjust his recipes a lot when he moved here from Vegas because the environment in Vegas vastly different than it is here. I mean, it's Mm. the humidity levels, the temperatures, the types of ovens even that, you know, he was using were different. What kind of adjustments did you guys have to make or did you have to play around at all moving here? Because early on when I met Nino, he just shot down the whole that New York water is the specialty thing. He's like, he's like, I made the pizza in Las Vegas, the competitions I made it in Florida, I made it in Italy. He's like, you get these people, they go get a job somewhere in New York, they get a dough recipe, and then they go back to wherever they're going to open their pizzeria, and they try and use the exact same recipe and everything, but if you don't adjust for the environment, I mean, it's like down to like barometric pressure, like elevation, all sorts of stuff. Yeah, I got another theory. Like, a lot of people ask me, like, I I think I know where this water theory came from, because we kind of dispelled this thing many years ago. Like, Scott Wiener and me bought the guys from Bad Boys Pizza, like, out, like, across the country, and we made pizza everywhere, and it was all the same. I think where it came from was, all right, you own a pizza, like, it's 1992. You own a pizzeria in New York. Your pizza sucks. You're probably Italian, right, or you know, something or 
Uh, but it doesn't matter. But just being Italian doesn't make your pizza good or Italian American. So your pizza sucks. You go out of business, right? Now you're bankrupt. And now it's like, like you're moving to North Carolina and opening another pizzeria and it still sucks. Now, the reason why I think this is because when you go to North Carolina and Alabama, like now the, the land's changing. But when you go to these other places, a lot of times it is like an Italian or Irish Italian guy or whatever. It's somebody from New Jersey or New York or, or something like that that's opening this like New York style pizzeria. And if you were if you were making great pizza to begin with, you'd probably still be in New York. Probably. All right. Because why would you leave like like a like Italian call it's very family. Why would you leave your entire family and where you grew up and this and that? Unless he kinda had to. You know what I mean? Because if you go to South Carolina, like the taxes are nothing, you know what I mean? And the houses cost an eighth of the price, especially like back then. So I think that's where it really comes from. Cause few times, like those, like, like somebody that like goes to New York and tries to figure it out. Like from years ago, I think of, um, uh, homestyle pizza in Austin. Home slice. Or home slice. That's right. Those girls. Like, they went to NYU. I think they were from Austin, right, or something. But they were like, yo, we got to open up a New York pizza place out here. One and, of them's from Jersey. Oh, God. But they went out. They went back to New York, and, like, they were like, hey, can you tell them what kind of tomatoes you use? Like, can you show me a dough recipe and this and that? And kind of, like, figured it out. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, the water thing. Listen, you go to different places. Your your fermentation, you know, barometric pressure, different environments, it's humid, it's arid, whatever it is. Obviously, this isn't that far off from New York out here. It's it's like, I mean, this just feels like a different season in New York than it is here. It's quite parallel. Everything yeah. on I-80, which is New York, Omaha, San Francisco, all have about the same. Yeah, similar. Yeah, there's, there's probably different, uh, small differences because of, um, environmental terrain changes and this and that, you know, if you're in desert on the same, what do they call those things? Longitude, latitude, mm -hmm. longitude, latitude, right? I think it's latitude. Yeah. We'll say, we'll say latitude we'll with say confidence. Latitude. Yeah. If I'm wrong, it's longitude. I'm, <laughs> um, so yeah, yeah. When you're on the same latitudes, it's generally like more or less the same, you know, type of temperatures and this and that. But, um, yeah, but then you got to just watch your hydration. Like in New York, like we obviously got to like take down our yeast sometimes or pump it up a little bit or leave the dough out longer because, you know, the middle of January when it's brick outside is going to be completely different than like right now it's 86 degrees. Like last month we were sweating real hard in New York. It was real bad in New York. So we actually, yeah, we had to start like, like putting like ice into the dough because it was just it was so hot the dough I ice it too quick yeah. we were doing the exact same thing here in Omaha yeah. that was exactly almost parallel and it is completely true when it's super dry and super cold in January February there's one set of rise times and but it's the seasons are quite parallel here I mean back when I was in New York I could find out what the weather was going to be like in New York two days early by texting one of my friends who lived here and asking what's right. going on yeah 
Hey there, listeners. We'll get back to my guest in a minute, but I got to remind you one more time about Certified Piedmontese. Anyone who listens to this podcast or follows me on social media knows that I enjoy my fair share of decadent meals and delicious desserts. And that's why it's really important to me to eat really clean between big meals. And that is one of the main reasons I love Certified Piedmontese. Piedmontese cattle have extra muscle mass, which allows them to maintain a rich tenderness without much fatty marbling. In fact, ounce for ounce, certified Piedmontese beef has fewer calories and more protein than salmon. Don't believe that healthy food can taste this good? Just try it. When you order off certifiedpiedmontese.com, use the promo code HOPPEN, that's my last name, H-O-P-P-E-N, for 25% off your order. You will taste the difference for yourself. If you are looking for steak, roasts, tenderloins, bacon, and more, Check out CertifiedPiedmontese.com and experience the Certified Piedmontese difference today. And now, back to my guest. I could talk to you guys about pizza science all day, and maybe we'll get a chance to talk more. <laughs> but but we got we, we to gotta get into the backstory of Williamsburg yeah. a little bit, because I find it to be fascinating. Now, in my research, the rumor has it, Aaron, that you the area of New York where you were living, you found this area in Williamsburg where there was no pizza within a 12 block radius which i almost like can't eat now again i've never been to new york so i haven't seen it but from what people tell me like i can't comprehend there not being like a pizza place on any on every corner there was seriously no pizza in this area it's it's like a pizza desert and i didn't like find this area i was living it for 10 years and you would literally have to walk six blocks in any direction to just get a slice of pizza not even like the best slice of pizza just like a slice of pizza in New York, which being at the center of a 12-block radius of no pizza at all in a densely populated up-and-coming part of New York, like Williamsburg, Brooklyn, was crazy, you know? And uh, so, you know, it wasn't like I found the area. It was just like all of a sudden one You were living upstairs. I was living, yeah, I was living where the pizzeria. And I knew that this was my life for ages. One day my landlord just called and we're like, hey, we're not renewing the lease for the restaurant downstairs. They offered us double the rent, but they almost burned the building down three times. I was like, I remember. I was there for all three of those. (laughs) And uh, they were just like, they offered us double the rent, but we just don't want it. I was like, what were they paying for rent anyways? And they were like, 1200 bucks a month. And I was like, so they offered you 2400 a month and you would take it just not from them? That's just crazy. I mean, that's like an apartment in New York. So let me yeah. own a corner piece of retail on a pretty busy intersection. And uh, yeah, and so I just called him back like 15 minutes later. And I was like, you know what? I'll I'll take the space. I mean, and uh, yeah, that was essentially it. I just knew that I was in a pizza dead zone and wanted to give it a whirl. So did you immediately know, I, I want this to be a pizzeria? Yes, that was instantly the plan. I... The rent made me confident that even if I didn't fully know what I was doing in the beginning, it would give me some like breathing room to figure it out because it was literally like 50% below market. The same space should have been like 5000 5500 bucks a month, something like that. And uh, yeah, and I had like, I had no idea to make pizza. I mean, I worked at Home Team Pizza from the time I was 15 to I was 17, but as soon as I got a car when I turned 16, I went more down the delivery path than the kitchen path, so... I really didn't have much culinary experience in this space. But uh, so I signed the lease, and a day later, I put an ad on Craigslist that was like, pizzeria manager needed. And uh, I got about 10 
like, you know, normal resumes came through. About 10 people just sent me scrolly emails. But one guy sends an email and he's like, my name is Nino Coniglio. You can check me out on Google. <laughs> just Google my name. You might be impressed. Yeah. Like, That's a pretty brazen response to a job ad, but you're not going to not do it if you get that email. You're going to check this person out on Google. <laughs> and uh, YouTube videos of him making pizza that were hit like a half a million times came up. And 12 years ago, a half a million hits on YouTube, it's still a big deal today, but it was like a bigger deal. That's just like grown. Yeah. There were like New York Times articles calling with Pizza Prodigy. Videos of him competing in competitions in Italy and France and winning. And, uh, yeah, I was like, okay, I didn't call anyone else. I just called him. And he'd been on Craigslist responding to pizza manager ads because a lot of times it's usually just some person who worked in finance or something and decided that they wanted to start a restaurant but have no idea how to do it. And he would just kind of reach out, see what was going on, and pitch him on restaurant yeah. consulting services. Yeah, I would, like, do, like, a consulting job, and then, like, I'd get off of it. And, like, usually after you do one of those things, you're kind of, like, chilling for a little while, especially, like, I mean, I was, like, 26 years old at the time. So I legitimately needed one. I was like, yeah. I actually need a startup consultant because I don't even have a pizzeria to manage, actually. Yeah, so I would get on Craigslist once in a while and I'd just be like, yeah, let me see what's going on. Let me see if anybody needs anything type of thing. And then, yeah, that was it. And to be clear, this is in 2012. So like you said, Aaron, like Nino's star had started to rise, but you weren't kind of the celebrity. I don't know if you would call yourself a celebrity today. I would call you a celebrity. I mean, I... <laughs> pretty, pretty, pretty pretty well known in the food space, I would say. Like a D-list celebrity, maybe. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll go with D-plus. How about D that? D-plus. Yeah, D-plus. So, so once you start talking with, with Aaron, like you said, you'd, you'd done some consulting previously. Was there a point where you realized this might be a little bit different? This could be a long-term partnership. Uh, n- not at the very beginning, but definitely like later on into it. Um, yeah, it definitely started to feel like that because originally it was supposed to be this thing where it was like, you know, um, you know, show me what I'm going to buy, you know, help me with the build out. Um, let's get a dough recipe together and figure out what cheese we're using and build a menu and this and that. And then like, as we were opening it, it, became kind of apparent to both of us that like I couldn't like like leave you know what I mean like without the you know whole thing falling apart like some of the guys that were like coming in there like there was somebody that was supposed to make pizza there and you know the guy tried to make a pizza and like there was a giant hole in it and he couldn't like launch it down so (laughs) it was there were some issues like in the beginning where it was like uh yeah and then you know, through that, like, we just, I mean, we ended up, you know, opening it. We ended up getting um, a good amount of press pretty early, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. The, the Brooklyn Borough president came. Uh, yeah, Marty Markowitz, Marty came. Markowitz came. Um, Yeah, so they, uh, yeah, we got a good amount of press going into it, and then, it, you know, it just kind of took off, and you couldn't really, you know, it was like, okay, let's go. Like, at that point, it's like you just, working seven days a week and like just trying to keep up with everything that's going on and hiring people and figuring it out and you know it's uh it's a crazy thing i think aaron's going through it right now over here yeah no we're we're getting we're getting it started it's going smoothly out here i mean it's everything as smoothly as something like this could go i mean our our business partner here matt he was the first one to bring jimmy johns to omaha 
and has since taken Jimmy Johns to five other states. He's now got him in Rapid City, South Dakota, Boise, Idaho, Colorado Springs, and Las Vegas. And it's an Omaha-based business. The office is here, but they're now operating in five five other markets around here. So working with him has been great. I mean, I've actually learned a lot, but his his ability to build a team, I mean, this is his 39th rodeo with, like, open up a new place. But, uh, but yeah, it was pretty similar to what we were doing back then when it was just starting from scratch. Because after you have one in a town and you open the second one, you can take some yeah. staff from the other one. But it really wasn't since us in 2012 that we were, this is the first time we're building a team from complete scratch again. They sent quite a few people to New York. Uh, Matt himself, a guy named Anthony Richter, came and like uh, worked for a couple weeks, you know, on and off for about five or six weeks each. And then we brought like three or four people on different rotation for the first five or six weeks out here too. So that helped kind of with the transfer of just knowledge and all of that jazz. But but going back to that. Yeah. I would like to say we we liked working with each other a little bit after after we went through like the trials and tribulations of building a new pizzeria. Oh yeah, and uh, and because a lot of your other consulting gigs, you were like going into an existing pizzeria, but this was probably one of the first ones that you coordinated building from scratch. Like yeah. every oven that was in there, every yeah, every signed place. We're trying to I... retrofit somebody else's like right, right, right. Yeah, and. Um, it was usually like, yeah. If you usually like, had a little love for the place because it was kind of the first one that you had given birth to from start to finish without no, yeah, the other existing. No, hundred percent, and it's it's got great. Yeah, one of the number one questions I get asked all the time is like, um, how many? Like, it's got to be crazy, like running six pizzerias, and I'm like, you know, it's harder to run one than it is like what you were saying before because it's like when you when you have one. And the pizza guy doesn't show up. It's like the sky's falling down, and you're like racing with traffic to try to get to the place so like that you're not closed. Where when you have six, it's it's like you know as long as you have like a good organization and a good team behind it, and like maybe you can afford that at that point, like on the back end of things. Um, but yeah, you can move people around. Out of support now. Yeah, you have a huge support network. Like, if somebody doesn't show up to work, it's like, hey, Roberto, can you go over there? And it's like, yeah, no problem. So we'll definitely talk more about Omaha, but I want to go back a little bit to the beginning because you've got somebody who in Aaron who recognizes, hey, there's this pizza desert. I've got this great opportunity that on a busy corner to open a pizzeria. All of a sudden, I've got this really experienced pizza maker who, you know, has some serious credibility. How do you guys, like, build a pizza brand from the ground up? Especially, yes, this area of town did not have a lot of pizzerias, but New York is famous for pizza. Like, to make noise in the New York pizza scene is very, very difficult to do because there's so many established places already. How did you guys build that brand and create Williamsburg into something that stood out from all the noise uh i mean i think it's just you know creating a great product trying to do that every day and you know i mean there's a lot of things on the back end of it from like you know you gotta you know pay your taxes and you know you gotta work on making money like there's a bunch of like to me i like call them remedial things they're really not remedial things like there's artwork that has to get done and like there's design there's all these different things um but I think it's just, you know, making a great consistent product and, and, and doing, you know, 
like the PR to like really get that out there. You know what I'm saying? Like the PR thing's a huge thing that I think the the big we're not talking about chains over here or franchises, but like the big boys in New York that, you know, have 20, 30 restaurants, they all have different names. You know what I mean? But like that's what they do for a living. It's it's something that they understand more than especially back then. Like even um um I think the way I described it to you was uh with the artichoke example. So artichoke pizza, which had opened probably four or five years before Williamsburg Pizza opened, um these guys put like thirty K into PR before they even opened. Oh, wow. Uh, like, they opened up with, like, this line out the door because, like, only, like, these bigger, fancy restaurants would use these, like, PR firms. Um, and, you know, we were one of the first pizzerias to do that. But, I mean, you see, like, there's, like, this whole um, new revolution in pizza, like, not, like, in New York, but, like, also, like, around the country and, and around the world. And, I mean, we're one of the first ones in it in that time but like you know you got so many you got like mamas too and like industry and like there's this whole new generation of places that's really you know taking like this philosophy that we were talking about before and implementing that not every place but it's you know there's like a big handful now and it's it's a it's a great time to you know be in pizza it's a great time to be a pizza eater you just gotta i can confirm that yeah yes Go to, you just got to go to like, um, um, like reputable sources. I think, you know what I mean? I, I, a lot of people are going to Italy right now. Like, and they're coming back and you know, they, you know, Oh, Nino, I was just in Italy. I'm like, great. <laughs> Wish I was there. But, it, but I always tell people before they go, I'm like, don't go on the weird trip advisor, this and that. Like if you're in Rome, type in Rome, best restaurant, Bon Appetit, Rome, best restaurant eater you know what i'm saying these kind of culinary driven um you know food news sources are always gonna like kind of point you in like a much better direction than you're gonna get from like you know old school stuff going back to just start up to just for a little bit uh getting it going in the beginning nino had a pretty good plan right out of the gate of how to layer the marketing he's like look first of all we're going to open. We're not going to do delivery. We're we're definitely not going to do third-party delivery. We're not going to do direct mailing menus yet. We're going to just see what happens on this corner when we open up and any kind of initial buzz from the press. And if it's a week or a month, whenever we can handle that gracefully, then we'll start doing delivery. And then yeah. once we can handle that gracefully, then we'll start doing the third-party delivery apps. And then once we've got that smooth sailing, then we'll start old-school direct mailing menus which is you know evolved into more like facebook ads now but 12 years ago direct menu mailing was still a big part of it but you don't want to like just do all of those things immediately and create so much business that you always are giving bad customer service because people give you a shot in the beginning at a place like new york but if they have a bad experience there's at least in most neighborhoods the pizzeria across the street they want to block down i mean but uh you know williamsburg is a big neighbor there's 20 great pizzerias in New York in Williamsburg and we were in one little pocket of it that was you know in its own spot but just slowly layering the marketing and not rushing it until you can handle what each new phase of it really brings was a big part of it because then like people will actually come back for that second slice because 
all of a sudden you weren't just bringing too much business that you couldn't handle essentially. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. That was part of it for sure. Yeah. We had like a lot of like, I mean, I mean that apple bacon pizza, right? Like where like, so do we, do we, have, yeah. yeah, we're doing it. Okay. So, um, yeah, our apple bacon pie like happened because I think it was like month, like four, like one of our like regular customers that lived around the corner just went apple picking upstate and just like walks in like like with this face on of like complete defeat with two giant bags of apples he had like 60 pounds of apples he's like yo i've given apples to everybody i know i've tried giving apples away on the street like can you do anything with these apples and i was like can i like leave them here with you like you're gonna be doing me a favor type of thing like i didn't think this through bringing back a hundred pounds of apples from apple picking. So I was like, yeah, I'll figure something out. So we made this pie that was like uh smoked mozzarella, um, gorgonzola, apples, apple with smoked bacon, um, and walnuts. And, uh, you know, where are, where the pizzeria is the original location in, uh, Williamsburg, like up the street and east you got like all the the old school Italian neighborhood, right? And then right where we are is like a, um, it's it's an old school like Puerto Rican Dominican neighborhood. And like after like two months, because we had some weird pies that like people weren't used to, especially like neighborhood guys are kind of like very meat and potatoes type of eaters. But like all we did was like just get like one of these dudes from each. From like the Italian section, from the Spanish section, from like the PJ section to try it. And then the word spreads and like all of a sudden you have like these dudes that you would never think in a million years like eating apple and bacon pies and even like uh, kale pizzas and like sopressata and Sicilian oil cured black olives. And yeah, that was, uh, you know, pretty amazing day out there. Like now we've been there so long. Don't we have, I, I remember we had a delivery driver that started coming there when he was like eight years old or something yeah. like that. Nice. Yeah. It's like, wait, you're that little kid that used to come out here when we open, you know, people have like really grown up on it. Like that's like a really good feeling. Now you guys, you talked about how you had pretty good success off the bat and you know, it, it obviously caught on. You expanded to five locations. But something that I'm, five locations in New York, something that I'm so interested in, I mean, we talked earlier for probably 10 minutes about the science behind the dough and just how intricate it is and how you have to change it with the seasons. It's one thing when you're doing that at one location and, and Nino, you're the one who's making the dough, or maybe there's one or two other people that you've taught. But as you continue to expand, more and more people need to understand this process. How did you figure out you know, how to take all that knowledge that took, you know, so much time and experimentation and transfer that to other people. So your, your, your same quality of dough recipe that people expect when they go to Williamsburg, they're going to get it the same at location one as at location five. Yeah. So it, it's basically like, um, simplifying the process in like, so instead of like, uh, I know coming up in the industry, like a lot of guys would like use less yeast in the winter time or more used in the winter and less used in the summer. But I mean, you can mess with like water temperatures to a degree, but really it's just like watching your fermentation and like trying to get it to like a temperature controlled environment as much as you can. Like, you know, so, um, 
while we're opening up new locations, like, and we're building them, we really pay attention to the fact that, like, okay, let's get, like, you know, we have, like, one of those clock things that shows the humidity and the temperature and everything in the room and putting in equipment that can, you know, not only monitor that, but to make it the temperature that we want. Because that's all it really comes down to. It's, like, humidity and temperature, and it's, like, you know, you get, like, this five-degree back-and-forth-ish thing going on that's not going to, like, super effective, but, you know, we try to keep it as close as possible with, like, our, our environments. So, Aaron, as the Williamsburg Pizza Empire is expanding, at what point, because you're from Omaha originally, I should have mentioned that off the bat, at what point does the thought of, hey, could I bring this back to Omaha, what point does that enter your mind? Thoughts been on my mind for a while, you know, but three months since we opened. Yeah. Like that's been on my mind for a while. But once we had like two open, two's its own challenge, once you had three, that's where the whole like mom and pop style of business management where like when you have one or two, the like Nino can be there forty hours a week, I can be there forty, that kind of works. You know, once you get to two, all of a sudden you both gotta kinda of do it sixty each, but it still isn't quite the same coverage as two of you doing forty at the other one. Once you get to three the wheels just go off the train on that model and you have to get better with your systems and procedures and, you know, stuff of that nature. And it's a real learning curve. And it's, I think, a lot of places probably get to three and implode. I mean, I don't have any exact numbers on that, but... It's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> you see it. But um, but we, we grew past that. Um, we we brought on an, off, an awesome, like, chief operating officer, uh, partner guy named Dennis, who is like a restaurant professional since college and worked with a chain that grew from four to 17 locations and really brought a lot of this, that skill set to the table. But as soon as, you know, we'd settled in to this, we understood how to run several of them at the same time, you know, which was right around four. And then once we got to five and it was still working, that's when I realized that we had the bandwidth to try and do something because it was at three, running them within like jogging distance of each other can seem pretty intense so it had always been on my mind I'd always wanted to bring the concept back to my hometown but uh it wasn't until we really got our multiple unit quick service restaurant management skills in line that uh, I knew it was like a realistic opportunity and when we met Matt who was a very professional restaurant operator out here who was interested in being our partner that uh I was like okay this can go from this thing I've wanted to do forever to let's really try and make it a reality Mm -hmm. and it seems to be working so far Mm -hmm. so the Williamsburg Omaha location opened in I want to say spring 2023 and you guys talked about how when you first opened your first location in 2012 it was kind of a slow rollout it wasn't just an all-out you know marketing full court press but it was kind of hey let's you know do this let's do this we don't want to get overwhelmed all at once that was not the case in Omaha, and I, I don't know if it was even but, but marketing no, but necessarily. It is, but it isn't in the same phases. We haven't even started delivery yet because yeah. it's so busy right now. We're so we are still living up to that program that he said. So we, we haven't. What? But there was just six so much days more to week three to nine, six days to week three to nine for a long time. Yeah, and uh, now we're up to seven days a week, and then starting at eleven, yeah, and then, but 11. there's no deliveries yet. There's so no, we're starting. We are still doing the busy, so we still got to like do it in those steps. This we did not think that this one, and our wildest fantasies, maybe it would have been as busy as the busiest one in New York. 
if we had had the right amount of pans for our pan pizzas and like dough cans for the dough, we would have done double the sales of the busiest one in New York the first week. And it is every week since it has been the highest selling one out of yeah. all of them. So yes, it definitely was, it was a way bigger, we got hit way harder right out of the gates, but we are still following true to that. We didn't just instantly try and do delivery too. And it could be like another month before, uh, you know, if things settle down to the point where we could do delivery, I mean, our sales would have to go down a little bit before we, maybe not go down or we would just need to like iron out the operation a little bit more. But, uh, and we haven't tried to court any third party delivery services and we haven't started mailing menus or any of the stuff that we still will do over time as it gets there. But, uh, it was pretty, pretty wild. Fun fact, the Jimmy John's that Matt first brought to Omaha also instantly became the highest selling Jimmy John's in the entire country. Now that was the best out of 572 at the time, but, uh, so Matt's got a track record of uh, bringing things to Omaha that instantly become the highest selling one in the whole operation. We've, yeah, we Omahans like our food a little bit. We like to eat out quite a bit, as I'm sure you've noticed. Yeah, it's like, I mean, I almost like, I would, if Aaron wasn't from Omaha, I would probably never even think of opening a place in Omaha. <laughs> and why would like, you? Yeah. I mean, but it seems like, uh, it seems like, uh, I mean, it's a really good move. I mean, I remember like when I was, going like when i was younger on the u.s pizza team and like really reading the trade magazines every day i mean when, when you get out to the midwest there's like these like i mean i've never heard of them like on the east coast but like there's like 30 of these pizzerias that have like you know between 50 and 300 units that are just like in these places like i mean everybody's sort of omaha but i'm sure there's a lot of other places in um you know, Missouri and Nebraska and small towns that, yeah, these places are just there and like they're the market and everything. And it's, I mean, I think they're really, really great markets because, um, you know, the people are all great and there's, I mean, if you're doing something really like unique to it and you're trying to do it right, like people are going to appreciate that and they're going to be happy. So it's, it's, uh, no, they're great, great, great markets to be in. Really At one point in time, Godfather's was the third largest pizza chain on the planet, and that's the an Omaha brand. And then Pizza Hut, which was number two when they were number three, was out of Wichita, Kansas. Sure. So a lot of these real mega corporations that have grown, and like, uh, you know, I think Papa John's is out of somewhere in the Midwest as well. I can't remember if it's Ohio or Michigan. He lives in Louisville. Louisville. Okay. That's where he lives. I think that's his hometown. I don't know if that's where they started. Uh, but, uh, yeah. Uh, Jefferson- Domino's, I think. Jeffersonville, Indiana. Was yeah, least, something in Indiana. Indiana started. So Indiana, and then Domino's was Michigan. So a lot of this stuff yeah. has really come out of the Midwest. Little Caesars is Michigan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So I always kind of thought, too, I was like, if we can compete in this market where there's a thousand pizzerias with some really good pizza makers, but figure out a way to create a concept that works kind of in the part of the universe that I came from. I mean, I'm not saying we're ever going to be one of those companies, but, you know, it just could potentially scale. And uh, so, I don't know, we're out here giving it a whirl. Yeah, I, but, uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's a it's a great time for all that because I feel like a lot of those guys, um, you know what I mean? Like, like they're 
I feel, I don't know. I got this like crazy feeling in my, like, I think Pizza Hut was like really good when I was a kid and like something changed. And I'm pretty sure it wasn't just me being a kid. Like, cause we would go to a Pizza Hut once in a while. Like you drive out, I think there was like, there was one in Jersey, there was one in Long Island and like they had the red roofs and the, the arcades and the all you can eat salad bar. And you know, you would go out and it's like, yo, we're getting pizza out and it was great. And like somewhere along the lines with like TGI Fridays and Applebee's and all those places too. Like, like TGI Fridays was the hottest spot to be in New York City. Like it was full of celebrities of the 70s. Well, they invented the concept of the singles bar. Yeah. That mm-hmm. didn't exist before TGI Fridays. Like yeah. it was literally bars were just dudes hanging out. Yeah, and it was this, <laughs> yeah, it was this like like pop culture thing that like everyone knew about. Like you could be in Omaha and you knew what Fridays was in New York because you know in the tabloids or whatever, like the celebrities would be like caught kissing there or whatever. But then like they started opening up other locations and like they expanded and and originally the idea was like, oh, we're bringing this thing that you kind of see in the magazines and on TV like to your hometown and you could kind of experience it and it's fun and this and that walking to a Friday's now it's like it's I mean it doesn't feel good like we me and my wife walked into a Friday's like two months ago and it was like yeah it was a rough scene and it's just like so I guess sometimes when you're dealing with like boards and all these different things like you just kind of like you lose that love you lose that passion for sure and and it's just not the same thing as it used to be and then you know I don't see things like that like lasting forever so it's you know somebody's got it's also like really hard to like once you scale up to like i don't know how many locations fridays has but it's like thousands it's literally i don't think it's like tens of thousands but there's it's, it's probably in yeah but you can't just completely change your entire business model when you gotta like like change 5,000 locations and re-outfit them and try to make them cool again. So, um, yeah, I mean, hopefully we can, you know, I mean, our passion is just, you know, staying true to what we were built on and, like, never really changing that. Like, just getting better at doing that instead of being like, well, you know, if we got, like, if we got 50 locations and we switch to this brand of flour, it's going to save this. Like, this is how those things happen. Mm -hmm. Because, like, they sit down at a board meeting and they're like, hey, we're using this cut of beef, but if we switch to this and you got 100 locations, like, it's real money. Like, it's like... It's also the difference between a a monthly meeting where the person starts it off with, how are we going to cut costs this month versus how are we going to make our pizza better? Yeah, no, 100%. Like, that's just... Once I think that difference difference will keep us true to the craft. Yeah, you know exactly. Well, you guys have definitely kept it going so far. The Omaha location off to a fantastic start. I mean, the the sales speak for themselves. Uh, how busy it is for whatever my palate's worth. I I've found it to be fantastic. We're running up against the clock a little bit here, and we'll get back to Williamsburg at the very end. But you know, there are a couple questions that I have to ask you. Okay, because I'm just fascinated. One is in my research both if for Williamsburg and just Googling your name, if, if, if I want to hire you, apparently that's what I do. I just Google you. Just Google. But the thing that kept coming up again and again was chopped champion, Nito Knigo, chopped mm-hmm. champion, Nito Knigo, chopped champion, chopped champion. And almost every reference to you that comes up. And 
don't get me wrong, I am a fan of Chopped, but it it's a one one day competition essentially where yeah. where you're just getting thrown crazy and greedy. You might open up that basket and there's bison tongue or turkey pepperoni or all this you know different stuff. Mm-hmm. And I I watch that and I'm like I think that that requires a lot of ingenuity and skill. But I don't know if it necessarily necessary like. If at the end of that competition, you come away with the best chef winning every time. Right. So I'm just curious to you, obviously winning Chopped was a very, like, that was a boon for your career. It's obviously a very good thing. But, like, when you look back at that and all the other things you've accomplished, like, is it that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things? I mean, to me, like, it's it's a very, very big show. So it like put me on like a, uh, on a platform that like because like the general public like doesn't know when you win like an international pizza competition like the guys who run the international pizza competitions even though they put you know hundreds and hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars into these shows and they don't really like like it's kind of like on you to like push that you won that like they don't have like a PR team behind it. So it never really gets out into the, like the mainstream press. So Chopped was like a big thing because it's like, you know, it's such a hugely popular show. I think that's the only thing keeping like Food Network in business right now is that show. Um, but like all these people were like, you know, it was a big deal for a lot of people. It was also like a really cool episode because um, I was up against three other world pizza champions. Um, who are, are also really good friends of mine. Um, and we were able, like, we knew the producers, so we were kind of able to, like, make sure that we had, like, everybody had great dough, everybody had, like, a great beast. Because it's like, if you're just cooking, it's one thing, but if you're making pizza, like, and you don't have that base, and that's not great, like, everything else is going to kind of not work out so well. Um, but, you know, like, I mean... You know, media is great and everything like that, but like the, I mean, the best accomplishments are just, you know, building something that, you know, building things that like bring people together and make people happy and, and giving like serving products that like you can like be proud of and like say like, you know what? I'm not like hurting people. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like. Uh, I'm serving a product that like, you know, is, is good for like the soul and it's good for the body, like a lot more than maybe some of my competitors are, mm-hmm. you know? So the second thing I have to ask you is about pizza acrobatics. Yeah. Cause two weeks ago when I started doing my <laughs> research for this, I had no idea this thing called pizza acrobatics existed. And then all of a sudden I'm pulling up YouTube videos of you on morning shows and you're twir- twirling pizza above your head. You're throwing it behind your neck. You're going between your legs. And I'm learning you were on, like, a national team that, like, competed and stuff. So what is Pizza Acrobatics and how did you get involved in it? Yeah, so Pizza Acrobatics is, um, it's, um, it's, I don't know. I guess you kind of got to look it up to see what it really is. <laughs> People just, you just Google it. Try it. Just Google that for sure. But, no, it's, um, it's competitive pizza throwing. So you're throwing it beyond your back. You're throwing it. Um, under your legs, um, you know, one of, one of the kids that I mentored, Scott Volpe, who's, uh, I mean, it's a worldwide thing. Like there's Chinese teams, there's Japanese teams, there's Korean teams, there's teams from Spain, there's multiple teams from Italy. Um, 
you know, uh, the, the, the Asian teams were like murdering everybody for a long time on the circuit. Um, after my time and one of the kids that I trained, he's like the only kid that could like one of the only people who could like stand toe to toe with these guys. Cause so I told this guy, grabbed this kid. He was already, you know, pretty good. And I was like, listen, I'm going to send you to breakdancing classes and you're going to learn how to breakdance. And he was like, what? And I was like, yeah, bro, you're going to learn how to breakdance. And he's like, why do I got to learn how to breakdance? I was like, you're not going to beat the Chinese or the Japanese teams unless you learn how to breakdance. So he was like, I was like, listen, I'm going to pay for the class so I convinced him. Um, he thought I was crazy at first. So he actually like, bro, this kid could go to breakdancing competitions like on their own now without, forget about pizza throwing. But he ended up like, like murking everybody. Uh, his name's Scott Volpe. He's from Tucson, Arizona. But, um, yeah, but it's, uh, it was, it was a very, when I got into going to the Expos, it was a very, uh, big, big thing. So, you know, you got big names that are still giant names in the industry, like Tony Gimignani and Joe Carlucci and, you know, the world pizza champions and the Brian LaRose from the U S pizza team. But at the events, it was the culinary side of things. Like they had culinary competitions, but they were almost like an afterthought. It was like the front of the stage was like the pizza game. So it was like the fastest pizza making challenge and the longest stretch and the acrobatics. And like, that's where everybody came. And then it kind of switched. And now it's like the pizza games are like the afterthought. And the culinary is like the real like everybody's that's like the headliner. Yeah, that's the headliner now. It's it's really done like a huge flip. Um, you know, I mean, going back, yeah, I guess when I was twenty, I'd say when I was twenty five years old or twenty four years old. Um, yeah, I mean, you would see like, tagged, like just the guys that were competing were over on like the culinary side. Meanwhile, like there was whole crowds of people by like the acrobatics of the pizza games and everything and cameras and everything like that. Now it's the opposite. So yeah, acrobatic. It's a cool thing. It's a it's a party trick. It doesn't do anything good for the pizza, <laughs> um, but it's a lot of fun to watch. It's a lot of fun to watch. The kids like it sometimes. Sometimes it makes them cry. You know, you got to watch the age of the kids. Um, sometimes I I mean even my I have a fourteen year old son. I remember like him like even at like three years old. I'd be like, hey, look at this, and he's just like, yeah, okay, bro. I'm gonna like. <laughs> I got Thomas the trade over here. Like, I don't know what the hell you're doing. Um, but um, no, it's a it's a fun thing, pizza acrobatics. Yeah, uh, throwdo.com. Go get some practice pizza. Give it to your kids. Maybe they could travel the world for free. People, just go on YouTube. You can go down <laughs> quite the rabbit hole if you YouTube pizza acrobatics. Or is it Scott Volpe? Scott Volpe. Scott, Scott Volpe. Go yeah. Google him. You B O L P E. Uh, yeah, Google him. Yeah, Google Scott. He's got some incredible breakdancing, throwing pizza videos. And, you know, I got a couple diesel ones. <laughs> some, a question that I like to ask, because I think it's a good educational question. I like to ask this of all my guests, but I'm especially interested to ask you guys because you come from outside the Omaha scene and, and have maybe a little bit of a grander view. What is one thing about the restaurant industry that you think people outside the industry, so just diners in general, don't understand that you wish they did understand? Oh. Oh. Uh, like, in general, general? 
wherever you want to take it, you can make it specific. You can make it general. However, you want. I'll tell you. I'll tell you what. This is a new thing. This is a fairly new thing. So, like when we started, like with Grubhub and everything at Williamsburg Pizza, um, it was they would send you the order. You would have delivery drivers, and you would take the orders. And that's still how we do it. What you're going to say is what it is. This is great. Yeah, <laughs> this is still what it is today. But if you if we go on Grubhub right now. And we can pick 10 restaurants at random and order from all 10 of those. It's, it's the, like, it's their drivers now that are taking it. So it's like, it's almost like an Uber driver. So you can have an Uber, a Lyft, a Uber Eats, a Grubhub account or whatever. And those guys could go pick up that person's food, whatever restaurant it is. And, you know, they could drive around for an hour before they get to you. They could not put it in a hot bag. They could do like all kinds of things. They could turn it upside down. Right. And then the customer wants, doesn't realize a lot of times that like you as the restaurant owner have nothing to do with this and whatsoever. Then, and then they want the refund from like, the restaurant. They want the refund for the restaurant and, and they want to bad about the restaurant and say that the restaurant's unprofessional when, because we don't even have like, like, there's not even a situation where, like, all right, something happens, they call the store. We don't even, we can't even call the driver to even ask them, like, wait, what happened? We can't, there's not a manager for all this that we could call to say, like, hey, can you discipline this employee? It's, it's, it's literally the wild, wild west. So just, if you're ordering from third-party apps, realize 95% of the time, um, the, the people delivering your food have nothing to do with the restaurant whatsoever. And we have literally zero control over and zero uh, ability to, you know, contact these people or, or try to do anything about it. Um, yeah, that's a that's a big one. I'm just elaborating on the same thing and just going deep down it with pizza specific, especially larger format pizzas like a 16 or an 18 inch pie. It's a very specific size and shape hot bag. And the drivers always have the, like, square one that's good for, like, every other type of takeout, you know? Like, it can be Thai, it can be Mexican, it's just in little containers with bags that kind of like that. But they, like, never have that one. So you just watch this thing go out, and you know it's going to be cold by the time it gets there. Or you see them try and wedge it in sideways, and then you know the toppings are going to slide because pizza's really sensitive to, like, you know, the it's got to be flat. Yeah. And... And there's just so many times where I watch these people leave our pizzerias, and I'm like, you just know, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then if you try and stop them, they just like cancel the order, and the person never gets it, so they're just they're, they're just the as upset. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a weird. One. It's a it's a huge thing. It's also like pizza. Like people might not think about it like this because pizza's just so synonymous with being a delivered thing. Um, you know, what do you think when you? think of like delivered food you generally i mean he did now you get everything but that's that's a really new thing like think about it think about i don't think you could get mcdonald's on grumbob even three years ago right yeah no none of those now they're all on there but i mean pizza chinese food synonymous with delivery but i think what people don't realize is pizza especially in the formats that we do it in new york is the hardest thing to deliver because you can like, I mean, you can stick like 
$700 worth of sushi orders like in your two hands and like a bag and carry it out to your car and do whatever with pizza like five pizzas like try holding like five 18 inch pizzas and then think about 10 and that's like not that many pizzas you know what i mean that's you know five people ordering two pies each which you know is nothing yeah yeah it's nothing so it's just the sheer size and everything of this stuff it makes it like one of the uh, most difficult like foods to deliver and to deliver it properly, which is why we've been looking at like different technologies and kind of taking a step back like over here and like trying to like, you know, we really want to figure out like, okay, how can we do this where everybody's happy or at least if we do use third-party drivers, like communicate like, hey, this isn't us. If you want us, call us. <laughs> so the number one takeaway, be uh, patient with the delivery drivers. And if something is screwed up, if you want to try and contact the restaurant, great. I'm sure you guys would do your absolute best to make it. Yeah. But don't just blame the restaurant. Definitely don't go on Yelp or yes. Google or whatever and just don't bad go Yelp. Give us one well. more shot to do it. Thank you. Yeah. Either come in and get it and see what it would be like, or just call us directly and at one of our stores that delivers, have our delivery person take it to instead yeah. of the third party and notice the difference and right. judge us on that. Because what it like with Uber Eats, like you can't, yeah, it's that allow you. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. they don't allow you. Grubhub lets you use your own delivery people. Some do, some don't. But yeah. Like, yeah. All right, we are up against the clock here. But I, before I let you guys out of here, I gotta ask one more question: Is you've got the five pizzerias in New York, but now you've expanded and now you're outside and and you have found great success so far in Omaha. So, you know, maybe I don't know how much you've gotten a chance to think about this, but when you look at the future of Williamsburg Pizza, what, what do you see? I mean, I know for a fact that we are going to continue to open new ones in and around New York. And if something doesn't drastically go wrong in the near future with the one in Omaha, if it's not just an extreme honeymoon phase and when the hype train dies down, it doesn't completely fall off the cliff, we'd love to open another one here at some point. Um, But other than that, we're pretty much sticking around just the, the New York City, New Jersey area for the most part. I mean, you? Yeah. I agree with that. I mean, like, listen, you never know what's going to happen tomorrow. You know what I mean? You wake up tomorrow and all of a sudden, like, there's like, you know, one of your buddies that, you know, he owns a building in Los Angeles and now you're in LA. You know what I mean? Which I'm not voting for that. In any way. <laughs> I don't want that to happen. I kind of hate LA. But yeah, you never know what's going to happen. But, you know, all we can do in the end of the day is just continue to work as hard as we can to bring the best possible product and take care of our employees, take care of our families, take care of our customers. Well, I I know I feel very blessed that out of anywhere in the U.S. that you guys could have expanded to, it happened to be Omaha, Nebraska, because now we get to experience it. And people, if you haven't eaten at Williamsburg yet, you got to get out and try it. We didn't even get a chance to get into the grandma-style pies, but the the Brooklyn round is fantastic. Grandma is something that is still very new to Omaha, but it's uh, Williamsburg is definitely the piece, the place to try it out. Ugh, if I can talk, but yeah, I mean, you know, we we've talked about all the science that, and all the experimentation that's gone into the dough. You can taste that, and I can confirm the thing that you said about like being able to eat a couple slices and then like feel good enough to go for a run. I've done that, and I'm just like I'm running after I ate pizza. This is cool. Yeah, but anyway, go to Williamsburg, give it a shot. 
Guys, I appreciate your time so, so much. I appreciate the time of every guest, but I've got people who are here from New York. Like, <laughs> I am so, so grateful that you took the time to come on this show. Thank you so much, Darren. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. Omaha, as always, thanks for eating with us. A Huda Media Production.